Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with the guests to take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm stomping with Ben West, mental health campaigner, best-selling author, and social media influencer. If you can hear the parakeets, it's probably because we're in Richmond Park. You can hear lots more of them in the episode to follow. Ben and I are very aligned with our goals, and I've met him several times over the last few years because ultimately, we want the same thing, change in the mental health space, early intervention, prevention, equipping young people with the tools they need to look after their mental health. Ben and I have so much in common. Some of the things are really good, and let's be honest, some of the things in our life have been really hard. Ben lost his brother, Sam West, at the age of 15 years old. Sam was 15 when he died by suicide. Ben, only 17. Despite this, he's gone on to achieve so much in the space, published a book, and is a real advocate for mental health. This episode will contain conversations around suicide, mental illness and depression. So just a little warning, a trigger warning to you all. And of course, as always, if you need support, we've got links in the show notes. This conversation is going to be powerful, important and enlightening. Stick around. And don't forget, we've got Behind the Stompcast on Apple Podcasts, which you can subscribe to. You can start with a free trial and it's $3.99 per month. Afterwards, you can save money doing over a year. Why should you do it? Well, it supports the Stompcast, but also you get lots of exclusive content, including Behind the Stompcast. You get Dr. Alex's diaries every Thursday and also ASMR drops. That's a lot of content and we really appreciate your support. Ben, welcome to uh, the Stompcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much. I mean, the weather, there's a real determining factor in how I feel, I find. Definitely the helps that today, summer, right? The fact that we can go outside... We're in Richmond Park. I love Richmond Park. So I'm I'm doing well. Thank you. You, you kind of got a, you've got your jeans on, a jacket. There, I'm worried about you being a bit too warm. <laughs> when I keel over, yeah, um, well, it's difficult to judge, isn't it? Because you look out the window at the yeah. moment and it's like sunny, and yeah. then the next minute it's it almost feels like it's about to snow any yeah. minute now. So I didn't really know how to judge it. Well, why don't you paint okay. the paint the picture for us? Where are we, and what does it look like? We're in Richmond Park. We've got the rolling hills of Richmond. We've got the trees at the background, the birds, the crickets are. A singing, um, which you can probably hear. It's, it's this is my perfect day. Mm. Being around nature, being around green, the noise of like animals uh, and wildlife. Like this is exactly it. And when I look back to my childhood, all of my the favourite memories are all in nature in summer, in very much in like feelings of this with with the stuff going on around you. Um, being a part of this environment. So this is, this is amazing. <laughs> what a lovely way to reach the midweek. Well, we're very glad to have you on the Stompcast. And we've, we've been actually working together, I think very closely aligned yeah. on a lot of things. And our goals are very common, I think, yeah. shared goals, uh, which we'll come on to in a bit. But 
yeah, to that point, that the, the, the weather, the summer, the sunshine, it often brings quite kind of nostalgic memories and yeah. thoughts and feelings back. Take me to some of those feelings uh, or times, you know, from your childhood. What, what, what memories they evoke as we walk through Richmond Park on this sunny day? Oh, so, I mean, growing up, I was really shy. Really, really shy. Um, I, I found, you know, being at school quite challenging. I was lucky I had really, really good friends and I was never really like bullied, but I just found sort of people and, and talking to people quite mm. challenging. And for me, looking back, like I just remember, I was very lucky I grew up in Kent, so middle of nowhere, trees, fields, whatever, are all around us. And the number of, you know, evenings I'd spend just walking in the long grass and like going to see the sheep or, you know, me and my friends, there was a, there's a river nearby just going and jumping into the river and just swimming around in, in the river when I'm like 10 or 11, or, you know, going into the, into the woods and watching the badgers, or even just getting home from school, lying in the, in the grass and just listening to the birds, or watching the, you know, the sparrows and the blue tits just fly around. Like, that for me was where I felt safe, being outside, being around wildlife, being in nature, it's like my safe place. And I, just try to get as much as possible growing up. So nature really is for you then a big part of, of your life. It kind of oh, do, yeah. do, do you feel a comfort and safety when you're kind of outdoors in settings like this? Definitely, but I think more so, I think it just ignites something in my personality. I remember being like 10 year old Ben, absolutely obsessed over Bear grills. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed over Legend. Bear grills, right? Um, absolutely loved that whole outdoor bushcraft, wildlife, being outside. And I loved it. And I think, you know, putting my mental health hat back on, what I really love is not just, not just being in nature, but being part of it. Um, and actually, not just witnessing it, but actually experiencing it and being part of where I was. And that was always what I tried to do, is really just engage in it. Um, what do you mean? Than, in what way? Because I think a lot of the time, you know, we can walk like this and you're sort of walking through and it's sort of nature and the wild, wildlife is going on around us and outside of our environment. But actually, for me, there's a real difference to then becoming part of it and really mucking in and getting involved and sort of being Build, there. Building tree houses or... Yeah, exactly. Were you a camper? Did you enjoy I, camping? Yeah, I loved a bit of camping. And, and so I think as well, like we, we're in this day and age where they're really, we really live in two worlds. We live in the world we've built and the world we're born in. Um, and, and often, you know, even when we enter the natural world, we're sort of tied a little bit to the world we've built. My kind phone's of in my phone, pocket, say, right? yeah, you bring your it's phone. so easy to be distracted and taken back. And I think I'm a massive advocate for if you're going to go into to nature, as we all should do, because it's so good, like go in there fully, experience it, be part of it. Um, leave your phone at home. I love just, I've got a Nokia brick. Just take a Nokia for the emergency services just in case and just go and actually experience it um, and become part of it rather than just a witness to it. Yeah, and, and I hope that, you know, as you know, all of you are listening, that, you know, if possible, you know, you're, you're, the phone's in the pocket, you've got your headphones, earphones on, you're listening, and just really take time to look around you and think about your surrounding. And we, actually, as we look we've ahead now, deer. we've got deer ahead of us, um, just literally in the pathway, uh, pretty much. We've got a, oh, a dad with his young, young boy who are, he's learning to cycle, I think, ahead of us. And there's so much you can take in just by lifting your head up and 
and looking around. And the interesting thing, actually, to, uh, a lot of people that listen to the Stomp class actually also listen at times where, we, where they're not able to go and enjoy nature. Yeah. So where they're driving to work, people said they do it, listen to Stomp class when they're flying as well because they feel like they're, they're, they're in nature. And I think hopefully part of what the Stomp class does is engage people's senses in that way. But there's nothing better, of course, than getting outside wherever you are even if you're in the city, find a local park and just enjoy it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Because it brings us back to what we're naturally designed to do. But then also a lot of it is mindfulness. Mm. You know, actually, when you think about what it's doing to your brain, being watching birds go into their nests and come out and watching the, the world go around and just being in nature, a lot of it is just being present. And, and even if you are in your car, you can be present, right? We've, we've all done the, the tricks, you know, what, how, do you, how do your feet feel? What do you, you know, feel the clothes, feel the steering wheel in your hands? The five senses, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Mean, when I started the Stompcast, early, early episodes, we used to go through with every listener and just kind of engage. And I did it kind of there with you at the start, like kind of, what do you see, what do you feel, what, yeah. what's around us? And, you know, asking yourself those questions, not only at times when perhaps you're feeling anxious, because, of course, it's a very good technique for grounding, yeah. for that kind of, the idea of grounding, so bringing yourself literally into the moment you're in. Yeah. Um, but also, it's brilliant just for just feeling wholesome and present, doesn't it? Yeah. We're slowing down Careful, a little bit because we're, we're wandering past the few. I don't want to become a human animals. kebab. Yes. They are some big horns. Big horns there. That's we can do a little loop around. Always pay the respects to the wildlife. Oh, yeah. I do see sometimes people coming. I mean, I, I, I've spent a lot of time in Richmond over the years. Yeah. Um, I lived uh, in East Sheen for a little while in the pandemic. Certainly the first half of the pandemic, it was my saviour. Mm. being in this place but I did see some people going far too close um, oh yeah you know wildlife is wild <laughs> it's called wildlife yeah so please well, do be careful when I say be part of it don't get don't be part of it the you end up as a meal yeah exactly so why is this park important to you because I brought you to the east sheen side which maybe was unfair because you're, you're used to going to the other side of this yeah. park right yeah so I think in London especially when we talk about nature and we talk about mindfulness it's easy to get just bogged down in the the busyness of it all, the congestion of it all. And for me, Richmond Park is one of my favorite parks in London because you, honestly, we're in one of the busiest cities in the world right now. And I can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven people yeah. um, and, uh, and a herd of deer. Yeah, How amazing is that? Deer you know, to... Absolutely incredible to, to have that in one of the busiest cities in the world is just amazing. And we can't, I can't see a single building Oh, I can just through the trees back there, but only three buildings. Um, and for me, it's just a way to, I'm a country boy. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Kent. It's a way to just, like I love London, but escape when I need to go for a walk. And like I said, fully, fully get into the, the into nature. You know, it surrounds me. I can't see anything that mm. is almost a trigger for the busyness because I find sometimes you just, you're constantly, doing and constantly thinking and especially living in London it's a place where it's mm. just like <laughs> everyone around you just smashing it all the time and if you're not it can be really isolating it can make you really you know lonely quite a, yeah lonely really quite lonely. a bad place and for me you know this around us this is life yeah. and it is really really simple it's it's really simple it's this network of things all working together and and actually it's a really settling feeling when everything else is so busy. Just to come here somewhere like this, and in Richmond Park, I come here a lot, and just listen to the crickets or watch the birds and just see that actually we're part of this incredible network of different things all working together. And actually, that for me is, is really sad. It's like those 
I love a sunset because it puts things into perspective a little bit. Yeah. Especially in the business of London, coming here, how can you not feel relaxed coming away from this? Mm. And I think the, the thing is as well about just appreciating nature is also realising that no matter what happens in the world, the world still rotates, still yeah. goes round, the sun will rise, it will fall, the, the tide will come in, it will go out. And, you know, uh, when, my, when Cleo passed away, that was a beautifully sunny day. It was a beautiful time of year. You know, it was a few, uh, anniversary a few weeks ago, so a couple of years ago, but it was a beautiful time of year. And I thought, how cruel is the world that it's so sunny and it's beautiful. The next day was gloriously warm and sunny. But oddly now, I realise so much comfort from that. Yeah. Because, okay, those are extremes of experiences. And like when you lost Sam, those are really, really extremes of like yeah. the awfulness of life. But also in the day to day, it does remind you like, oh, do you know what, whether that person was, you know, annoying at work or this is happening or something, you know, it puts stress into perspective quite well. Because you realise that doesn't matter how stressed you get, if you're really, really stressed, the sun's still going down yes, later. Yes, exactly. And I believe that there is a sense of comfort from that. So there's so many layers to it, and the nostalgia's there, the sense of it's a beautiful day, it's warm on your skin and all that, yeah. but also that sense of like absolute realisation and grounding that no matter what, this still goes on. The story goes, yeah. still goes on, doesn't it? Exactly. And there's so, um, it is relaxing. And the fact that you can have the worst day of your life and the sun will set, you'll go to bed, and if you sleep or not, the sun will come up the next day and you get another shot. And I think, you know, so much has been made of like the 24 hours in the day, but actually, you know, there is this amazing, just recurring thing of the sun goes down, sun comes up, the world continues and you just got to fit in. And just like you, actually, Sam died in January. Mm. The day he died was just the most grim, gris, horrible January day. The day after was crisp. Windy Blue day. skies, not a not a breath of air, and just absolutely stunning. And it, it's odd because that was the worst, really the worst, second worst, whatever day of my life, mm. and it was absolutely stunning. And for me, actually, you know, I said nature was my safe space. Almost my knee-jerk reaction, my instinctive reaction that morning, when I got out of bed and went downstairs, and my parents were like, you know, Sam hasn't survived mm -hmm. was to take my dog Tippy, who's no longer with us as well bless her um, but she uh, took her for a walk and and I went to the woods and I sat by a tree and I looked out over the hills over the like the fields the farmers fields and I heard the birds and heard the, and that was my safe space because again and, and I wrote about it because I I, I, I I had really thought a lot about that, that feeling at that time in this chaotic moment of, you know, I've just been through the worst thing, or one of the worst things anyone can go through. Mm. And actually, sitting there under that tree, I felt a massive amount of peace. Mm. I didn't feel scared, I didn't feel anxious, I didn't feel, you know, I, I felt just completely at one with nature because this is just a process. Um, and there is an amazing connection that human beings have with the world. For me, just sitting by that tree, even in the worst moment of our life, it was just, it was, I've never felt that feeling since. Well, we fight so hard as human beings to separate ourselves from the human world. If you actually yeah. think about what we, what we do each day, we, we work so hard to almost have two separate yeah. worlds, our world, the human world, and the world, the natural world around us. But we are so, so connected to 
the earth and everything that happens on it uh, and everything that happens around us in nature that actually by trying to do that you're actually causing yourself so much pain and so much I don't know, it's a, you're almost asking for trouble, aren't yeah. you? Because you're, you're trying to live a life as if you're not part of it, but you are. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, people live, they die. People, good things happen, things bad happen, things happen in the world. And I think you're right. I think that comfort of trying to be as best you can connected to this earth we're with, I, I think through those most difficult times does, ha you know, does help. <laughs> Um, you know, what was his favorite things? What was the things he didn't like? <laughs> well, yeah. i just share a bit about who he was, really. Yeah, wow. Okay, so Sam was... So there, there's three of us. There's me, Sam, and Tom. Yeah. And I'm... This is how we described our, our sort of relationship. I was the sort of academic one. Not that I consider myself massively academic. Sam was the arty one and Tom's the sporty one. And so immediately there was this quite a funny clash of like not being able to do what each other could do. Sam, were, honestly, he was just the most incredible artist. He had an incredible brain. Um, any sort of art he'd just pick up and, and run with, whether that was music, he played the trumpet, <laughs> which wasn't always... Wasn't always I bet great. you didn't love that at all <laughs> like, times. Let's be yeah, honest, yeah. that was not a favourite thing <laughs> on the weekend. Not. Especially when he started. But he must have started when he was like nine. I feel like and there's a very bad learning curve there. The like pain to your drums until I get really hours good. Hours and so hours. So the violin. If you're amazing at violin, it's the most beautiful <laughs> instrument in the world. But if you're bad at violin, yeah. it is the worst instrument oh, in the world. Oh, exactly. And trumpet is exactly the same. And mo if anyone that learns the trumpet, you usually start at that age on a cornet. Okay. Oh, absolutely uh, awful. Producer Charlie's laughing. Were you a cornet player, Charlie? Yeah. Blown away. <laughs> oh, so any and, parents that are listening, oh, we sympathise, we love you. My brother used to play drums and I played guitar. My parents were infinitely happier when I was playing the guitar and the drums for the obvious reasons. Tom plays drums, yeah. So there you go. A, and uh, it was a great household. But no, he'd, uh, he'd learn and he'd, he'd insist on doing it in the kitchen where we all did our, our homework. So you'd be trying to get your homework done. Sam was blasting on this trumpet. Um, but to be fair to him, he, he picked it up so well and actually he became so, so good at it really really good like there is a moment when you hear a 
proper good trumpet player and it's actually not an obnoxious noise it's actually quite a subtle yeah. controlled noise and that's i'm not very good i'm not a musician so that's my way of describing it but it was actually really he was amazingly talented at music but then also producing music so he used to produce his own um scores he was a, he loved movie scores mm. Um, loved Hans Zimmer, all of that wow. classical music. Yeah. He produces his own, he produces his own um, interpretation of Time by oh, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, Beautiful classic. song anyway, but he added added instruments, tried to like adapt it, blah blah blah. Which a is real creative at heart. Oh, massively. Yeah. And like me, I've got no idea. I don't even know how you'd even start that. Like sometimes for fun, I know my laptop came with Garage Band on it. Right, yeah, I'll I go know, on yeah, and I'll be yeah. like. I don't even know what any of this is. Hit some, th hit some keys. Got the metronome going, and I'm like, yeah, let's... But no, he'd do, he'd do all of that, and it was quite incredible. And then physical art, like painting as well. I mean, he's, got, he's just had this incredible creative brain. And then also he was an animator. He, used to, he had his own YouTube channel where he'd animate um, these stop-motion films. He was, actually did really, really well. He had hundreds of thousands of views, wow. um, tens of thousands of followers. Wow, like, wow, wow. He was really, really impressive from a creative point of view. Um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he was the more, out of, out of us three, he, we, me and Tom used to get up to a lot more mischief. Um, was he the more behaved one? He was a little see, bit more, see, he was a lot more behaved. Um, me and Tom started learning to snowboard when we were sort of like 10 and eight, I think. And Sam was just like, absolutely not. Is that what? too dangerous, yeah. too risky? Too, I'm happy on my skis, thanks. He was just like clinical. To be fair, I would have stuck on the skis as oh, well. So there was me and Tom just like bombing it down piece on a snowboard. And we used to absolutely love just like completely wipe, wipe, wiping wipe him out. out with, yeah, he hated it. So <laughs> that was really the dynamic um, when we were growing up. But to be fair, like living in Kent, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, we're all three of you outdoors and playing. Yeah. We're that oh, kind of brotherly. Absolutely. It's interesting. I'm three brothers as well, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of, I guess, the dynamic. Probably, and we, I grew up in the Welsh countryside. Yeah. Like, in, so I bet you our childhoods were probably very similar. It's probably to similar, yours. yeah. Alex's the snowboarder. So my middle yeah. brother's the snowboarder. So there you go. Uh, yeah, and so, but you know, you 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 have to get close to them because there's no one else. Yeah, sure. Around. Um, so yeah, I mean, to be again, it's summer, um, and I think that's why I love summer so much because so much of my childhood was based in summer when that's when I'd go out with them um, and you know like I have awful hay fever and I remember just sort of not really caring because I'd spend so many hours like running through grass with Sam and Tom coming back and I'm like leaking from every hole in yeah, my face yeah <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but God. I wouldn't care because it's just it was just so fun um, it's like growing up living with your two best friends um, and again in, especially in summer because you had that just that outdoor playground that, that Kent or the like fields around there and the, the nature is for us so so that was our dynamic <laughs> so you were really kind of close to the three yeah you talked in your book um obviously a lot about your own personal experience and, and a lot of uh, the book is um kind of helping people perhaps deal with conversations approach situations like prevention you know intervention early intervention and that i mean when did you when did you think something's going on here with Sam? Because you, mm. uh, you talked about depression and things like that. Was it, was it clear that he was struggling with things like depression? Or? Yeah, so oh, this is where it gets a bit difficult because mm. I know everyone 
runs around, plays with their siblings if they have them, mm. and, and is you know happy-go-lucky mm. when they when they're growing up. But you hit 13, 14, 15, and you go through puberty, and you do change. Mm. You don't want to play happy families anymore, you right? Do. Naturally, it's a it's a whole process about wanting to leave the nest and all of this. Um, so it was really, really difficult. We did start to drift apart. Mm. Because you don't really do that with siblings, you know, there was this sort of divide when we got to that age. Because um, you were three or four years apart, wasn't it? So it, I was two, two, Sam was two years younger than me, Tom was two years younger than Sam. Yeah. So we didn't actually drift apart, he didn't want to muck in, he wasn't yeah. as talkative at dinner for about a year, right? And then September 2017, he, uh, and he must have been talking a lot more to my mum than he was, you know, to all of us, but he was diagnosed with clinical depression. Um, so they went and got a diagnosis. He was clinically depressed. And I remember she told me, she, we had dinner one day and she kept, kept me back in the kitchen. And my mum was just like, Sam's been diagnosed with clinical depression. Mm. So, you know, people often ask me like, what was the, what was the signs? Like, I've been given the best sign possible. I, he got a diagnosis and I was told, but I had no idea what depression was. Like, my mum might as well have sat there and said, Sam is feeling a little bit unhappy at the moment, mm. over to you. Um, as if a 17-year-old me, yeah. like, I'm just like, well, just go for a run, go put some music on, go and do some of your art. Like, you know, I did not understand what that was. And so I never, I never spoke to him about it. And I remember clearly there were moments where, well, actually I say clearly, there was this one particular moment um, where I picked him up from school and we were driving home and as I know exactly, I remember exactly where it was, but both of us must have had the same idea of we should talk about this. I, wanna, I want to bring this up. I could just feel there was this tension in the air of like, we need to address this. And oh, neither of us did. Mm. And we sat there in silence for the whole car journey. And there was this awkward tension of, both of us wanted to say something, but neither of us did. Mm. And I look back now, and obviously that's ex extremely sad to think about, but there was this really obvious moment where I could have gone, what's going on? Yeah, mum told me about this. Um, mm. You know, how can I help? What do you want to do? And he, but, and he passed away in 2017, is that right? He, he died 20, January 2018, so January three 20. months after so he died. So just into the start of the year. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, is that it's, um, hindsight's a bitch, isn't it? And, yeah. and, uh, and I have very similar um, memories, I guess, with Clear. So, you know, it was part of the pandemic was, yeah. you know, I was here in, literally in London yeah. and he was back in Wales. And, and, you know, he was struggling with the fact that he was locked in the house with my parents, as a mm. as an eighteen year old that was you know getting ready to go to uni, didn't know yeah. what's going on with his A level grades. We have the grades, and oh, yeah. he's locked in that room. And you know it's difficult because obviously my parents and myself we all beat ourselves up a lot. But you kind yeah. of like it's very hard because how do you decide how much of it is an understandable reaction to a shit situation? Yep. Like I was feeling pretty shit, you know, locked in London, working every day, seeing all the shit I was seeing in the hospital. I was appropriately mm. feeling shit based on what yeah. you're seeing so it's hard because you it's not normal for people to walk around and just be happy and smiley all the time when shit things happen you generally feel shit because of it and what's really really difficult and one of the reason that hindsight's such a bitch is because 
both those situations, many people go through what, say, Clear went through and say what your brother went through, and then, you know, they, they, they come through the other side yeah. and they're okay. It's very hard on the families, on your family and my family and others who, who, who have the same experience because it really is the kind of cruelty because, you know, so yeah. we're surrounded, you know, you, you do an incredible work in a space. We're going to talk about that more, I think, particularly in part three and some of the goals that you have, which we're very much aligned. Um, you know, it's hard because you're constantly surrounded by that what, you know, what ifs. And I think the thing that I've, and I wonder just to finish this part, what, what your thoughts are, but for me and I think my family, you know, we do fight with the guilt a lot. It's something we live with, but also there is a big part of me that realizes, well, I can't change the outcome. Just how the sun's gone up, gone down. This mm. is part, this time, this, this has happened to us as a family. I wouldn't wish it on any other family. I wouldn't wish it on my own family. You know, it's happened to us. Um, and it's learning, I guess, what's happened and the lessons from it, but also applying compassion. You know, like you said, you, you were a, a young boy, really, let's yeah. be honest. You're a young yeah. boy who grew up in a system where we don't learn and talk about things in mental health. Yeah. We don't really understand depression. Even the system that the person with depression is living in mm. doesn't understand the depression. A lot of the time, you know, certainly someone's gone through med school, not really something that I feel that we were appropriately prepared yeah. to deal with and look after. So you're living in a very imperfect world with this thing that's happened, and then you have to bear this weight. So, I mean, how do you kind of, I don't reconcile the word with it, but how do you, how do you deal with it now, especially in the work that you do? Are you kind of, a peace again is probably a very troubled word, but are you kind of, do you kind of have that compassion with yourself now and see that perspective of like, Jesus, man, you were 17 at the time, your, your family are also doing the best they can and then all of a sudden you're hit with this, you yeah. know? Oh yeah, I think it would be easy for me to say, yeah, really compassionate on myself now. I'm completely um, cool with it, obviously it's, not. It's a now. journey, right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for me, guilt was the worst part of all of this. Uh, I mean, crippling, absolutely awful. Um, unfortunately for me, um, what happened that night was Sam, we had dinner um, Sunday evening. My dad went for work. We were left just having dinner, me, Sam, Tom and mum. And um, he just wasn't talking, pushing food around his plate. And I, I found that really annoying. Um, I guess, you know, for three months, I sort of felt like I'd lost my brother and he wasn't really mm. just there. And I guess I was annoyed at that. And so I just, I just said it and I was just got really angry at him. We had an argument. Um, and just as he was leaving the kitchen, I just shouted some stupid comment and said, fuck off. Mm. Um, and the next time I saw him was when I opened the door um, after my mum had found him. Mm. So that was, oh, dealing with that was absolutely yeah. horrific. Because in my mind for a very long time, I was what made that happen yeah. that night. Which is obviously not the case. Exactly, because, and like, I've been very lucky. I've worked with a counsellor and sort of done all these thoughts, but you know, you say that to someone, they don't go and do well, that five the last, later. The last time my brother messaged me, I, I didn't, I had didn't reply to yeah. him and we'd actually fallen out a week before um, and had a bus stop. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, it, and it, it, absolutely you go, oh my God, it is. Yeah. But as, as you know, these things are generally speaking, protracted, long thought out yes. things that, that, that come to pass, but it, it doesn't make it any easier. My parents, every single member of my family has, has, their thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think you'll understand what I mean, but their thing about it going yeah. shit, you know, what if? And 100%. last person to speak to my brother was my mum, you know, and like, 
Yeah, that, that, but that must have been so tough for you because like how many times do brothers fall out? I mean, me and my brothers yeah. used to fight like dogs and cats. <laughs> so all the time, me and Elliot would fight all the time. And, you know, uh, they go to bed, wake up and say, oh, sorry, mate, yeah, yeah. I was a bit of a dick yesterday, whatever, move on. You don't, you don't hold it against that no. person, do you? But then obviously in that, it's the cruelest way for that to oh, absolutely. Well, but, but yeah, 100%, I do have compassion now because that's not something that, that does it. But also, it's also driving force for why I want to to improve education because I'm like, I would never have dreamt of saying that if I'd known what was going on. I said that because I was annoyed because I thought he was choosing to be an asshole. <laughs> but he wasn't, you know, and, and actually to, you know, people with, that are going through mental health problems and, and it's a really difficult, they're really difficult people to live with. Yeah. And it's really tiring people around. Of course. But you need to have that understanding and awareness of how you interact with them. And unfortunately, because of the education system, not educating me around what mental health was. Well, you didn't was. have the tools. For I had no idea what I was dealing with. And didn't have the tools. So that's where my compassions come from. Um, of like, I was 17, I had no idea, he was my brother. And it did, it took me about two and a half years to get to a point where I'm very comfortable saying now, I have no, there was not a single thought in my mind that I could, I did anything to feel guilty about. Um, and, but guilt is awful. And you, you, when you, in this world, you see guilt all over the place. People struggling with mental health problems, they'll, they'll feel guilty or shame. People that have done something that they couldn't help mm. feel guilt and shame. Shame and guilt are some of the worst, most awful emotions that you can deal with. And most of them are self-inflicted and unhealthy. Not judging by it, others, judging by yourself. Exactly. Yourself. Um, healthy guilt is when you've done something wrong, someone's been hurt, and you feel guilty because you know you've done something wrong. Unhealthy guilt is when you haven't done anything wrong. No one's been hurt by what you've what you've said, and you're placing guilt in yourself because yeah. you think you should have been or, or a protracted for, or protracted guilt on things. If you do something wrong, you've recognised, you've apologised, yeah. you've atoned, move on. It's protracted exactly. guilt is terrible. Well, you might have done something wrong, but also you don't need to be defined by that the entire life. Hundred percent. But I want to I want to say huge thank you for for, for sharing that. I mean, I, I, you you speak so openly about it, and it's yeah. I, I'm as I said before, I'm really sorry. You know what has happened to you and your family, um, and I'm really glad that we have people like you around who who are you know open. You want to make a difference, and that you're so vulnerable in the se that sense. You know, you're happy to share and talk, but a lot of people wouldn't want to say that. So so thank you. We will pick up on um, part two, I think that conversation around guilt and grief and how to use things that have happened in your life or certainly how to kind of grow from things that have happened in your life and to perhaps do good even with terrible things sometimes. Right, I'll see you all in, in part two. As I said at the start of this um, episode, you know, these conversations can be really triggering. So please be kind and compassionate to yourself. It triggers something within, within you or an experience that you've had. Talk to someone. If you haven't had therapy and talk to people about it, then I really would suggest that you do. And as always, hit the show notes to have a look at certain places that we advise going to for, to look for support and for help. See you all soon in part two. If you want more tips and advice around mental health and building your mental fitness, then check out my book, The Mind Manual. It is exactly that. It's a book about supporting your mental health, building that resilience, building that fitness in your own life. Check it out. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.